0: Security, necessary, but sometimes excessive and severely limited. So, what about all those health stats we have online, both in Australia and the UK? Now we have a brand new approach from Oxford, pioneered by Dr Ben Goldacre and his team at the Bennett Institute. And I must declare that Ben, one of the best known science communicators globally, is my nephew. He is also, based on his intrepid investigation of evidence in trials of new drugs and procedures, been made a professor at Jesus College in Oxford. The system to keep our health records secure is called Open Safely, and here's Ben to explain
1: how it works. So, Open Safely is a set of tools and working methods that allow a huge number of analysts to access the health data of the entire population whilst also preserving citizens' privacy. So, it squares the circle, it gives you access but also maintains the confidentiality of your medical records.
0: And how is it different from the system we have in Australia where you've got similar kind of records online?
1: Well, there are a couple of differences. First of all, the quality of family doctor GP records in England in the NHS is probably unparalleled anywhere in the world. There's a breadth of coverage, so it's every citizen in the country, 58 million people, and a very ethnically diverse population. So research from England can be relevant to people around the world. And it's also got depth, so there's at least one piece of information about every encounter that you have with the health service back to birth and much more detailed from about the 1990s. So the scale of the data is phenomenal and you can use that to do every bit of research you might possibly dream of with health data. So you can look at the causes of disease, the effectiveness of treatments, their safety. You can look at the uptake of treatments, the spread of innovation. You can look for inequalities of access and you can also look at inequalities in services. You can look at whether there are particular institutions. Institutions that are doing particularly well so other people can learn from them or surgeons that are struggling and could do with a bit of external help. But there is a challenge which is that this data which allows you to do all of this fantastic work is the very same data that contains the most confidential medical secrets of every citizen in the country. So it's got every antidepressant and every anxiety treatment, descriptions of difficult family circumstances, alcoholism, sexually transmitted diseases, fertility treatments and a whole host of things which many people wouldn't want shared or broadcast outside of their family or indeed outside of their own relationship with their doctor. Okay, so how do you protect that information and what have you done? Well, in the past, the way that people have granted access to this kind of data has been, in some respects, rather chaotic or some wishful thinking about privacy management. Traditionally, people take the names and addresses off the records and then send them out to hundreds or thousands of different locations where people are allowed to work with them on their own laptop, on their own machine. Now, superficially, that feels like you're protecting patients' privacy, but the problem is you can still re-identify people in those records. If you know just a few things about them, for example, when and where, roughly speaking, they had their children, roughly where they've lived over the past couple of decades, and roughly when they were born, that's often enough to uniquely identify somebody in the data set that contains an entire population's records. So when COVID hit. We realised that we needed to do work across the entire population's records in order to monitor the risk profile of this new disease and also whether there were any treatments that increased or decreased your risk or any particular groups in the population that needed special protection. But there was no way of doing that without accessing everybody's records. And there was no way of accessing everybody's records because every time, Anybody in the health service or the research community had ever tried to do this before. It had been by this old fashioned method, extract all the records, take the names and addresses off and then send them out to researchers to work on it. And every time the government has tried to do that, privacy campaigners, professional groups and patients have been up in arms. And in England, on two separate occasions, you've had over a million people opting out of their records being used for anything at all. And in many respects, I think they were right to be concerned because privacy researchers, security engineers are correct. Taking the name and address off patients' records is not sufficient to protect their privacy. So what we built in just the first few weeks of the COVID pandemic in March of 2020 is a completely new way of working with these records. It grants access to users whilst provably protecting people's privacy. And we do it with a few fairly simple technical moves, which I will now explain. (laughs) Well, I understand them. Well, yeah, no, of course. Okay, so first up, instead of giving all users access to the real records, instead, we randomly generate fake electronic health records. So they've got fairly similar structure to the real records. There's one row for every clinical event. There's a column for the date, a column for a person identifier, a column for an activity identifier, a column for an associated variable. But it's all completely randomly generated by a roll of the dice. Now, that data, you couldn't possibly use it to do any real research. We haven't taken real records and added lots of statistical noise to them in the hope that we are preserving enough of the statistical relationships but destroying enough of the uniqueness of people's records to protect their privacy. We're not doing that. It's completely randomly generated. This data, this fake dummy data, is just good enough for users to write their code, the programs that researchers write, to prepare the data into an analysis-ready form and then to run their statistical tests, to run the code, the commands to make their graphs and their tables for their scientific research papers. They write all of that code using the randomly generated dummy data on their own machine as if they were working in the old-fashioned way with real patients' records. And then when they've finished it, the OpenSafely machine tests their code, checks that it is capable of running against the real data. And when it is, it gets wrapped up in a container using something called Docker. And then all of their data preparation code, all of their data analysis code for their graphs and their tables, their statistical tests, wrapped up in this secure container, gets sent into the secure environment that does contain the real patient records of tens of millions of people. And it runs inside that secure environment automatically. No researcher or analyst ever needs to enter that secure environment with the real records. Their graphs and their tables plop out into a little outputs folder, And then they get to go in there and look at that. And that data is not disclosive. It's not going to contain information about individual people. But even then, when you want to propose it for release to the outside world, to go in your report to government on how the vaccine campaign is going in COVID or your research paper in The Lancet or Nature, it has to be independently reviewed by two separate people to manually check that there's nothing disclosive in there before it gets released. Now, when we first did this, researchers said, this all sounds wonderful, but tremendously irritating. Can you please just give us all the data on our laptops, like in the old-fashioned way? Because you used to be able to get a few million patients' records just downloaded onto your machine. We were worried that people would say this is inconvenient, that it's, it's too much hassle, it's a nice idea, but it just won't wash. I'm delighted to say that Open Safely is now tremendously productive. It's produced dozens and dozens of completed published research outputs. It's productive, in fact, because we have eradicated the chaos, the anarchy that comes when the data gets sent out to hundreds of different researchers, all to work with on their own machines. Because everybody's working on the same data in the same machine, using the same system. So that means all of the little jobs they do to do the quality checks on the data to prepare the raw event records into higher level clinical concepts before they run their statistical analysis all of that is pragmatically standardized using the open safely data preparation tools and that means that every new user who comes into the system can see every previous user's work they can quickly read and understand it because it's done in a standardized way They can reuse it if they want to, and all of that is possible because of an additional thing that we have essentially forced onto the research community, which is absolute openness about everything that they do. So when you analyse electronic health records data, when you do any kind of data analysis, you're writing commands into computers. Historically, people have tended to keep those programmes private and to themselves, sometimes just because of Laziness, it's just the way they work. Sometimes because they're actively rent seeking. They think it's part of their competitive advantage that they've got good, quick data preparation routines that other competing research groups do not have. Now, the problem with hiding all of your code is it's very difficult for people to quality check your work, but also it's very difficult for people to efficiently reuse your work you don't get this accumulation of good work and everybody standing on each other's shoulders. All those moments of people writing either brilliant or dreadful code are lost like tears in rain. And so, in Open Safely, we did something that was in some respects quite transgressive for the scientific community, but also a very powerful part of our reassurance to patients, the public, and security researchers. When you write your code, because you're writing it only using randomly generated dummy data, we know that your code is not going to contain any secrets about citizens in the country. So it would be safe to share. And so we oblige people to share it. In fact, mechanically, the only way that you can submit computer programs to run against electronic patient records through OpenSafely is by first posting your code onto GitHub, which is a standard code development and code sharing website. So you literally cannot run code against 58 million patients' health records through OpenSafely without first sharing your code on GitHub. And when code runs against patients' records, we have a live, open public log. So anybody who wants to can go to jobs.opensafely.org and there you will see, live in front of your eyes, little rotating circles showing you the live jobs that are running against patient records. And if you click through on those jobs, you'll get to see more information about the person and you'll see a pointer to the code where you can see down to the level of every single individual. That's the researcher, not the patient. The researcher... So you can click through and see every line of code that's being run against patient records, but obviously you can't see any patient records.
0: May I just ask the final point really is all of this information is invaluable because health care is very expensive and you want to make it as efficient and fair as possible. You also want to examine various research ideas of what new drugs are being trialled for and by, and you could in fact save trouble and money... On a vast scale for the nation, is that not the purpose?
1: Everything that you had ever possibly wanted to look at in medicine, you can find a trace of it in people's patient records. So there is almost no limit to the volume of good analytics that can be done on this. Epidemiological research into the causes of disease, the consequences of disease, the natural history of disease, looking at treatments, their benefits, their side effects, their cost effectiveness, looking at variation in the quality, safety, and cost effectiveness of care, from different clinicians, different institutions, different regions in the health service, looking at the determinants of good or bad care in different settings. It is a truly phenomenal resource. And the only thing that has held us back from doing good, productive, efficient work on this data has been the fact that historically, the only way to access it was through this rather chaotic and, to my mind, anarchic system of taking the names and addresses off and sending it round to hundreds and thousands of different locations.
0: What about the work for the doctors and the nurses and the people who are putting information into the system? Doesn't this double their load?
1: No, we are simply reusing almost like an exhaust product. We're using the patient records that have already been created. And because of that, it's enormously efficient. So the total cost running Open Safely is a few million quid a year. Historically, we're more than happy to support many, many, many more users, but never going to tip over into anything like the cost of even computerising a single hospital.
0: Professor Ben Goldacre of Jesus College in Oxford and the Bennett Institute with strong Australian associations. Both his parents are Australian, and his great-great-great-great-grandfather was Sir Henry Parkes, Father of Federation. And as I mentioned, my nephew. So, Jack Ryan, our new tech reporter in the ABC Science Unit, your impression?
2: As Ben rightly points out, our health data is deeply personal and revealing. It might reveal our addictions and afflictions and the histories that we wish to keep private. Bad actors with access to that knowledge might even use it against us to extort or scam. For instance, last year, 9.7 million Australians had their private health data exposed in a hack of health insurer Medibank. Their details have been sold on the dark web. But combining health data from massive populations is also an incredibly powerful research tool. It's a public good that can reveal the health of communities and countries, collating records from every person, from every demographic. OpenSafely attempts to resolve this tension between keeping personal details private and understanding health data for a public good. So here's how I like to visualize it. All of the patient data in the UK's health system is stored in a massive vault. Typically, researchers that want to access the vault and the data within the vault have to ask for permission. They're provided then with specific sets of de-identified data. Not so with Open Safely. Instead, Open Safely creates a second vault, a simulacrum of the first. Inside this vault is dummy data that looks just like the real data, but importantly, there's no way to trace it back to the patients it came from. Researchers can go into this vault as they please because there are no privacy concerns. Then they can mess around with the dummy data and create processes and tools they need to analyze these giant data sets. OpenSafely takes those analytical tools and uses them in the original vault to assess the real patient data. This enables researchers to get real insights from real patients without ever having seen any health data related to a real person. It's a welcome shift in handling and analysis, and it comes really at an urgent time as malicious cyber attacks increase in frequency and sophistication.
0: Thanks, Jack Ryan. Tech reporter, more next week.